In this series of podcasts, your legal team at Dawson Hart Solicitors will demonstrate how they provide a comprehensive legal service across a wide range of matters with their usual personal and approachable touch. We are here for your family, your business and you. Welcome to Dawson Hart. Hello, I'm Paul Harvey and welcome to the Talking Law series of podcasts with Dawson Hart Solicitors. Today, we're going to cover issues of commercial leases for landlords. And I'm with Andrew Ranney today from Dawson Hart. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Andrew, before we embark on the topic about commercial leases for landlords, could you describe what your role is with Dawson Hart Solicitors? I head up the property department. So that covers residential and commercial property. Uh, But my day-to-day job is predominantly based on commercial property. So that can be a range of things commercial leases obviously as we're going to talk about today uh, but also uh, development land freehold property and anything that really doesn't fit into that nice category of conveyancing moving house so it can be drainage easements solar panel leases quite a range really so what we'll do first of all then andrew is let me ask you an opening question what are you leasing out as a landlord that's probably the sort of most fundamental question Uh, it's important to think that as a landlord you're letting somebody take your property so what are you letting the tenant have is it the entire building um, all the external areas are you, you know, letting them have the car park is it a building that more than one tenant is going to go into uh, do you need to keep some of it back for yourself uh, we see sort of properties that are mixed use so I mean, silly things like where's the meter cupboard uh, do you need to control that area um, if you're leasing the entire structure, the entirety of what you own, it's it's uh, quite easy uh, because you just sort of say, everything I own. If you're not leasing out everything, that's when the lease has to be very specific. Uh, I mean, to the point of saying, okay, I'm going to retain the main structure, the roof, the foundations. Be precise. Are you letting the tenant have the doors? And that may sound silly, but it means that if you give the tenant the door, they can replace it with a different door. You may or may not be happy with that. And when we get down really into specifics about you know, the plaster finish on the walls, the tenant will have the decorative covering, but they can't necessarily drill into that wall or knock the wall down. Uh, floor coverings, are they responsible for those? If they are, it means that you know, if something happens to the carpet or the polished concrete floor in an industrial unit, the tenant has to make good. If it's yours, they maybe don't have to. So it's really important to think to quite a precise level, what are you actually leasing out? We would always recommend a plan so you can sort of see like a bird's eye view what they're having, mark out any common areas. But if you're not leasing them the entire building, you really do need to be very specific about what you are giving them and what you are not giving them. And how long should the lease be? What are the rules on that? The starting point is there's there's no rules, really. A lease has to be for a defined term. So it shouldn't be vague. That's one of the starting points. It's got to be for, you know, a year, 10 years, 100 years. You can do leases for, you know, 999 years if you wish, or you can do them for a week. The shorter term, they tend to be perhaps more of a license, more of an informal arrangement. But let's say your average high street shop, you might be saying five years, 10 years, something in that sort of range. As a landlord, your focus really wants to be on generating an income stream for a constant income stream for as long as possible. But 
think about your tenants they're not going to want to sign up for a 20-year lease if they're a new startup business they're going to want to be trying to balance some sort of quick exit uh, if their business doesn't go very well or let's say if their business does go well and they need to expand so you, you inevitably end up with something in the middle say let's say a 10-year lease but you might agree a break option for the tenant after three years five years something like that you can get break clauses as landlords so this is the ability to say well actually look we signed up for 10 years but after three years i've got the right to kick you out uh, it's not often uh, that you get them for a landlord but it is possible the more flexibility you give the tenant the worse it is for you as a landlord because that income stream you're looking to generate becomes an uncertain income stream rather than a, a more positive one and that can affect the value of your property if you're looking at this as an investment the value of the freehold property behind it becomes less valuable if you've got an uncertain income stream with it uh, another thing just to mention on the, on the topic of how long a lease will be you may sign up to let's say a five-year lease with your tenant but there's something known as security of tenure uh, which is a piece of government legislation dating back to 1954, but still going strong, uh, where the presumption is if a tenant occupies premises for the purposes of a business, they're entitled to a renewal lease at the end of the term. So you sign them up for five years and then find at the end of the five years, they've got the right to another five years and then another five years. There are only limited grounds on which you can object. So it really sort of shifts the balance of power in favour of the tenant so it is possible to exclude security of tenure uh, so that's certainly something to think about. It's a very thorough explanation and we've talked about income so how much should the annual rent be Andrew? Difficult one for solicitors to comment on because we're not valuers that's another sort of skill set entirely so you talk to a surveyor uh, you talk to the, the commercial agent who often is a surveyor as well in fairness i suppose the answer i can give is it's ultimately a commercial decision i mean how much is something worth how much someone's prepared to pay for it so different types of properties achieve different rent uh, so you know high street premises compared to an industrial unit or on a, on a farm site somewhere will get a very different sort of square footage square meterage rate so there's that to think of certainly but then you also get things like rent free periods so if you're renting your premises out to somebody and they're not in a great state of repair or they're not fit for the purpose that the tenant wants and they're going to have to do a lot of sort of fit out works you might say well we'll agree ten thousand pounds a year but we'll give you three months rent free while you do the place up or six months rent free you've also got to think about the fact that the price you agree now if you grant them a 10-year lease that's not necessarily going to be the going rate in 10 years time so you want to build rent reviews into your lease so that you can at regular intervals be it two years or five years build a review in so your rent stays at market levels uh, as much as possible during the course of that term and would those in increases follow in line with the retail price index you don't often see that in commercial leasing mainly because commercial properties don't sort of follow that same structure mm. they, they rise and fall at different rates so you tend to have what's known as an open market review usually an upwards only open market review because uh, you don't want the rent to go down during the term so uh, in let's say three years into the lease you would 
go and talk to a surveyor again and say what's the going rate for my premises and they will take a look and they'll tell you and you adjust the rent according there is a negotiation process built into the lease generally you don't have completely free reign but as long as it is a reasonable rent you can increase it so what are the potentials of applying additional charges to a tenant Definitely something to think about because rent is your sort of your headline figure. You're running a business here when you're renting a property out. That's your sort of headline. But there will be other costs associated with the property. And you've got to consider what of those you're going to pass on to the tenant. Now, the starting point is generally the tenant pays for everything. It's a lovely arrangement from your point of view. You've got an asset. So they will pay all of the outgoings on the properties, business rates, all the utilities, legislative costs so fire risk assessments asbestos buildings insurance all of that sometimes you'll find if you've rented out the entire property then you just sort of pass all of that responsibility to the tenant if you have a shared building in some way then it might be that you retain the control and you make these payments but the tenant then pays you back Uh, the only exception to that generally is the buildings insurance where come what may the landlord will arrange the insurance because at the end of the day, it's your asset you're protecting, so you need to be sure that your business insurance is as you want it to be. And are there other um, aspects of security that you can apply in the arrangement? Uh, very much so. So you've got this piece of paper that says the tenant promises to pay the rent, pay the business rates, pay the utilities, but you're dealing with an unknown uh, a lot of the time, a new business startup or somebody who's relocating you might be able to take some references from a previous landlord or from their accountant something like that but some other form of security would be very wise so commonly we see a rent deposit uh, say it's called a rent deposit but you can actually use it for sort of any default uh, that the the tenant makes whether it's on um, you know, the buildings insurance the rates whatever but it tends to be referred to as a rent deposit and it's often something like uh, three months worth of rent or sometimes six months worth of rent so that's paid up front by the tenant put in an account under your control it's not your money strictly but it's in your control and if the tenant ever fails to pay you can dip straight into that so your cash flow remains constant for as long as possible you give the tenant then time to make that money back up or you kick them out if they don't another thing to think about just in terms of security limited companies um, obviously a valuable asset in the sense of uh, they help people set up businesses without uh, risking personal liability not great for you as a landlord though if you're granting a lease to a limited company because the money isn't in the limited company a lot of the time the assets uh, may not be in the limited company they may be in the director's personal names so we would always say look at the company particularly newly established ones and think so i want some guarantees here i want the directors to act as personal guarantors and in terms of the repairing restrictions or terms that you can apply in a lease on a property, how far can you go as a landlord on that? The obligation is usually quite onerous on the tenant. So the starting point is assume that the tenant should be made responsible for repairing, maintaining, decorating the property. Uh, there's a question over are they directly responsible, as in you know, they should be the ones that actually do it, or indirectly, as in you're going to do it, but you're going to recover all your costs of doing that, plus a management charge, perhaps, uh, from the tenant. It usually follows that if you've given the tenant the entire building, then you leave them to be responsible for it directly. 
if you've got some sort of shared building arrangements, an office block with several tenants in there, then you would do it or you'd employ managing agents to do it for you and then you'd reclaim the cost by way of some sort of service charge. You can do that as and when, let's say you've got got a small industrial estate or you're just one unit on an industrial estate there will be estate charges for looking after common parts as well that sort of go a little bit beyond repair the definition of good repair is another interesting one and every lease will be slightly different as to how they draw that because it's really an area for surveyors so let's say you've got something like a flat roof uh, at the back of your unit that's going to be an interesting one because what is keeping that in good repair that we all know they have a lifespan it might be 10 years it might be 20 years if you've granted a 10-year lease to someone on a five-year-old flat roof it's probably going to fail during their lease is it fair that the tenant bears that responsibility well as a landlord absolutely you want to pass that buck along if you can but you'll find that some tenants will push back at that point and you may have to concede Uh, either a a cap on their service charge contribution or even possibly exclude it uh, that particular item entirely we sometimes see reference to schedules of condition so particularly with older buildings you as the landlord do want to pass as much of the repairing obligation on but you have to be a little bit practical a little bit commercial and say well yeah this is an old building it is in a certain state of not disrepair but you know weathered fair wear and tear accepted etc so the tenant may say well yeah it's not fair that i'm obliged to give it back perfect because Mm. it's old so a schedule of condition can be quite useful there for sort of describing how it is at the time the tenant takes it and agreeing they don't have to give it back any better than that obviously as landlord try and resist all of these things because the more you can pass to your tenant to pay for the better And how do the courts view that, if it does go to court? Are the courts very sympathetic for the tenants' rights? Not especially. Ultimately, if both parties have been legally represented and the lease has been negotiated, uh, the courts will say, well, that was the deal you struck. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of legislation if you're dealing with members of the public, um, so unfair contract terms and things like that. But if you're business to business, which anybody renting a, a, a property on a commercial lease will be, there's far less protection out there because you're deemed to be on a far more level playing field. Now, that's not to say that you as landlord aren't saying, these are my terms, take it or leave it. You can still do that. But the, if the tenant decides to take it, they're doing it from a position of knowledge and a position of having made that you know, commercial decision and therefore they're bound by it. So the courts aren't very sympathetic. So as landlord, you know, get the right terms, get what you're comfortable with. Otherwise, you may find that you know, a repair cost you thought you'd passed along actually comes back to bite you and that eats into your bottom line. I can believe that. And in terms of altering a property or improving it, tell us a bit more about that. It's this odd mix. You've given away your property to someone. They're paying you a rent for the privilege of being there. They're looking after it for you. They're maintaining it. But it's still yours. So you want to exercise a certain amount of control because it is going to come back to you in three years, five years, 20 years, whatever it may be. Mm. Now, obviously, I mentioned those sort of 999 year leases. The level of control you as landlord want to exert will change if you're looking at those sort of leases, but your average commercial lease, your sort of your five-year, 10-year, something along those lines, you're going to get this property back. 
it's still your capital asset. So you want to exercise quite a high level of control. So generally speaking, we would prohibit any sort of structural works. And we want the, the tenant to come and ask our permission before even minor non-structural works. Now, at the start, the tenant's often thinking about fitting out and yeah, you want to find out what they're planning to do uh, and therefore agree or tell them at that point, no, I'm not going to be happy with you doing that. Now, sometimes, you know, they need to knock a hole in uh, a wall to put air conditioning in. You might look at that and go, well, that's nice. That will actually improve my building. I'm willing to agree mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, the shop frontage, they might have a very different idea to your previous tenant. So always consider what the request is, but ultimately think about what is the impact on your capital asset? How do you want this property to come back to you? And it is possible to say to a tenant, well, I'll give you permission to do ABC works, but before you go, I want you to put it back to how you found it. Yes. Let's talk about the permitted use of the property. Yeah, again, I mean, that's something that uh, you as landlords may initially think, well, I don't really care, you know, it's my building, but yeah, he's using it. He can use it for what he likes as long as he pays me the rent. But if the tenant goes off and applies for planning permission and changes the use of your building, you may find actually you struggle to find another tenant in five years' time, ten years' time, and therefore the value of your property has changed. So again, it's something you want to exercise a little bit of control over. Uh, let's think as well, the bigger landlords, let's say you are the owner of a shopping centre, you may want to be very specific about what use you allow a particular unit to have because you're trying to get the right mix in this area, not to have conflicting uses too much, com competing uses. So generally speaking, we would say, think about your unit, think about, you, know, you can be very general, you can sort of, uh, the government publish um, through the planning regime their sort of use classes, they just changed them all as of September 2020, but people were familiar with things like A1 for retail, B1 for light offices, I say they, the categories have changed but the uses are, are much the same. So you might say, well I'll let you use it for retail, I'll let you use it as a cafe slash restaurant. So you can be very specific or quite general but we would generally say you do want to exert a degree of control because it can have an impact on your value it's also very sensible to prohibit any sort of residential use except maybe know, employee manager accommodation something like that mm -hmm. and we generally also sort of stick in things like you know don't cause nuisance or annoyance to the the neighboring properties things like that just so you can not find yourself in trouble with your neighbors and as a tenant can I assign the lease or can I underlet the property? Again, it's an area where landlords want to exert some sort of control because you've agreed to this tenant taking your property for a certain amount of time. You've done your references. You've taken your security. You, you're comfortable that this person is going to be able to pay you the rent and look after the property. If they then assign it to some man of straw, sell it on, you suddenly find yourself with somebody in your property who's not going to pay you the rent so always make sure the tenant has to get your permission first but if they do have to get your permission first you can at the tenant's expense check out the new tenant and if you agree then yes they can pass it on the law allows you to say okay tenant number one you want to pass this property to tenant number two i will allow it but i want you tenant number one to guarantee 
tenant number two. And that means as well as saying to tenant number two, I'd like a rent deposit or something like that. I want personal guarantees from your directors. You can also have behind that tenant number one has to guarantee them. Uh, so that just gives you an extra layer of security. And the logic behind it is, well, I agreed to tenant number one. I approved him. So if he wants to pass it to tenant number two, he can stand behind him and guarantee him. If tenant two passes it to tenant three, tenant one then drops out of the picture. But you've always got a layer of protection. So allowing the tenant to assign the lease is, is generally acceptable. But I say you do want to be exerting a level of control. The question about underletting the property is a slightly different one. When you allow your tenant to underlet the property, they remain your tenant. So you have a relationship of landlord and tenant with them still but they then create their own new relationship of landlord and tenant or sub-landlord and sub-tenant. But if the sub-tenant doesn't pay the rent, doesn't strictly speaking matter to you because you've still got your tenant who is obliged to pay you the rent. Now, although you've got that contractual relationship, again, it's about managing the risk. So you still want to be involved in that process of subletting. You still want to be giving consent. You still want to be asking references, checking out the subtenant, because obviously from a cash flow point of view, it's all very well and good if the subtenant doesn't pay to say, well, tenant, you've still got to, but where's he getting the money from if his subtenant hasn't paid him? So you still need to think about it, think about the references, think about the security. All in all, it's all about protecting the value of your capital asset and protecting your income stream. So always think about what control you want to uh, have and what security you can take. Well, thank you, Andrew. That's all very thorough. Is there anything else you want to add? Well, I suppose just uh, being a lawyer, there has to be a sort of a caveat. Uh, everything we've discussed is sort of not strictly legal advice. It's just sort of information. I mean, we're always very happy to talk to people. I think a lot of people have this vision of uh, a solicitor sitting there with a stopwatch. And as soon as you start talking to them, it costs you money. Uh, we're always happy to have a sort of an initial consultation with people without charge, just to sound out what you're thinking about and give you a few pointers. Just sort of you know, cover in a bit more detail some of the things we've talked about today. And if people want to make uh, further contact with you, Andrew, how can they do that? Everything's uh, available on the website, probably the good starting point. So that's www.dawson-hart.co.uk, where you'll find uh, my contact details on there, direct dial, email, uh, and those of, of colleagues who might be able to assist as well. Thank you, Andrew. That's a, a very thorough guide to commercial leases for landlords. I've been talking to Andrew Ranney of Dawson Hart Solicitors. This is a talking law series of podcasts with Dawson Hart and listen out for Andrew's guide to commercial leases for tenants which neatly follows on from this particular podcast thank you Andrew thank you very much make Dawson Hart solicitors your first choice for legal services on matters that affect your family your business and you welcome to Dawson Hart for more information go to dawson-hart.co.uk Information in this podcast does not constitute legal advice, and we therefore accept no liability.